88K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Robert Kemp. Tonight's headlines. Officials say the citywide COVID tests have so far found six infections with four of them previous patients. The court clears Apple Daily's Jimmy Lai of intimidating a reporter from rival paper. And the organisers of the book fair say it's far from certain that the event will go ahead on its new scheduled date in December. Health officials say some 128,000 samples from the government's citywide coronavirus tests have been analysed so far, and six infections have been identified. But four are previous, previous coronavirus patients, who it's believed can't infect others anymore. Damon Pang reports. Announcing the results of the first batch of lab tests, Director of Health Constance Chan said it's too soon to say whether the rate of infection discovered is high or not. She said no matter what, though, the Beijing-backed testing program is useful. Until we finish the entire program, it would be very difficult to make any interpretation on the positive rate of the entire program. Nonetheless, I think it's useful because the scheme have picked up positive cases and such measures would help to reduce the risk of community transmission in Hong Kong. The Center for Health Protection's Chuang Shukwan said four of the six infections found involve people who were known to have the virus earlier on and who made a recovery. She said they don't need any further treatments and they shouldn't be infectious. Next Media founder Jimmy Lai has been found not guilty of intimidating a reporter from a rival media group. An Oriental Daily journalist who was following Mr Lai at the June the 4th vigil three years ago said the tycoon had threatened to find someone to mess him up. But as Richard Pine reports, the magistrate expressed doubts about the reporter's testimony and said Mr Lai had not intended to cause fear. Jimmy Lai sat relaxed at the back of the packed courtroom at West Kowloon Magistracy, wearing a grey jacket still damp from the thunderstorm that had rolled through Kowloon on his arrival. After establishing the undisputed facts of the case, Magistrate Mei Chung laid out brief reasons for her verdict. She said the prosecution had not proven that Mr Lai had threatened the Oriental Daily reporter with personal injury, and they hadn't shown that his comments had intended to alarm the reporter. They hadn't proven the offence, and Mr Lai was therefore not guilty. Mr. Lai was accused of scolding the Oriental Daily reporter, shouting that he would mess him up and swearing and pointing at him. However, Ms. Chung said she found that the reporter was not an honest or reliable witness. She said he had been evasive and his words weren't believable. She noted that the reporter had been assigned to a special team tasked with finding stories and following public figures, including Mr. Lai, and this had led to animosity between the pair. She said the reporter laughed and smiled during the altercation and asked Mr Lai why he was grumpy, adding that these were not the reactions of a man who was genuinely scared. The organiser of the annual book fair says it's far from certain that the event will go ahead on its new date in December in view of the risk of pandemic. But the Trade Development Council's Deputy Executive Director, Benjamin Chow, says he believes the festive season is the right time for the event fair was scheduled for July but postponed due to the coronavirus. Mr Chow says they will assess the situation in November and make a decision on December the 9th, a week before the expected start. We attach great importance to the safety of Hong Kong people. So if the situation in Hong Kong, if the COVID-19 situation has not been improved, actually we, we, we cannot carry out our book fair. So still I, I encourage company to actively participate in the December version. For the moment, actually, we have reserved all space available in the CDC because in normal days, actually, the book fair have, uh, been, uh, have 
occupied the entire centre, every single inch of the centre. Legislative Council President Andrew Leung says turnstile gates will be installed to control access to meeting rooms in the LegCo complex as it beefs up security following clashes at the legislature since last year. Other measures will include the installation of anti-collision railings outside the building. Mr Leung explained the plans after a meeting of the LegCo Commission. There might be some inconveniences but there will be a lot of better protection for the people working inside the LegCo. The uh, security consultant already gave us the report a few months ago. It's just some of the detailed design that want to notify the uh, LCC members so that we can go ahead and start the uh, process. Tune to RTHK, the time is five minutes past 11. Health Secretary Sophia Chan says Hong Kong's ban on public gatherings of more than two people can't be relaxed yet because there are still invisible chains of infection in the community. She was speaking ahead of the relaxation of other anti-epidemic measures that will see gyms, massage parlours and clubhouses reopen tomorrow. Maggie Ho reports. Speaking on an RTHK radio program, the health chief said the relaxation of infection control measures must be done in an orderly and gradual manner to try to minimize the risk of another resurgence of COVID-19. When asked why some businesses like bars, karaoke and video game arcades are still closed, but others, including gyms, can reopen, Ms Chen said the decision struck a balance between public hygiene and people's mental health. Most importantly, we are doing it in an orderly manner slowly. We don't want to relax everything at the same time, as that would lead to a high risk of infection, in particular when we already know there are invisible patients and infection chains in the community. We have to be careful with every step we take. Ray Or, the convener of the Fitness and Combat Sports Alliance, said even though the government allows its members to restart classes, they are restricted to no more than four people, including the trainer. He said that would only bring back around 10% of their normal business. Usually, a large part of our income comes from classes, but now we are only allowed to entertain three students in a 5,000-square-foot room. Some people may halt their membership if they are unable to book a class, he said. But gyms are in a better position than video game arcades, which are not being allowed to reopen, much to the disappointment of the industry. The secretary of the Licensed Amusement Game Centre's Trade Association, Amis Law, told the radio program that they have been closed now for almost 100 days and many businesses are struggling to stay afloat. She said game centres can comply with the conditions being imposed on other venues, such as reducing the number of people at each game station and disinfecting machines after each use. She said a one-off government allowance of $100,000 for each game arcade was not very useful, as idle game machines are more prone to break down and the centers need to keep paying rent and wages. Chinese University respiratory disease expert David Hui described the latest easing as rather cautious. But he believes if new infections don't climb again in a week or two, the government is likely to further relax its social distancing measures. 
when asked whether the ongoing citywide coronavirus tests could provide a representative figure of silent community transmission if eventually less than two million people join in. Dr. Hui said the data will give important information for authorities to make decisions on infection control. Former Electrical President Sung Yuk Singh has waded into the debate over whether the SAR enjoys separation of powers, saying there's no clear definition of what this means. Earlier this week, the Chief Executive Carrie Lam and Education Secretary Kevin Young both said that the principle of separating powers between the executive, legislative and judicial branches does not apply here. However, Mr Zung says the discussion is meaningless, and while Hong Kong does split roles between the different branches, it's not the same clear extent as jurisdictions like the United States. If you adopt a more stringent standard, for example, that of the United States, the Constitution of the United States, because everybody says the United States is a classic example of separation powers. Now, then we do have some features of the system in the United States which are absent in the Hong Kong system. For example, not all legislative power in Hong Kong is given to the Legislative Council. The uh, executive branch of the government still holds very important parts of the legislative power. DAB has called on the judiciary to explain to LegCo what was discussed at a talk given to magistrates in July. The judiciary has denied in writing claims by two of the party's lawmakers at a High Court judge warned magistrates, some of whom were identified as having pro-establishment tendencies over their handling of protest-related cases. Holden Chow and Elizabeth Quart had cited an anonymous letter as saying that the judges warned magistrates to be careful with their words and not to anger the public. Mr Chow says he's voicing public concern and denies trying to put pressure on the courts. Despite the denial, he still wants answers. The reputation of our judiciary is of prime importance to the public. The people have grave concerns whether the court's impartiality has already been undermined because of the content of the meeting. So I think better for the judiciary to send a representative to fully account for the purpose, the contents of the meeting. Police say they've come across a new method of drug smuggling after arresting two people at a flat in Kwai Chung. Officers say wooden furniture imported into the territory had been soaked in liquefied methamphetamine, or ice, with the drug retrieved by boiling the wood. Damon Pang reports. Officers say when they raided a subdivided flat in Kwai Chung this week, they found three kilograms of wood along with a boiling pot of liquid containing the drug ice. Police Superintendent Alan Chong says the drug started off soaked into pieces of wood that were imported into Hong Kong. The drug dealers overseas, actually they use some chemical methods to soak the drug into the woods. And they made a wooden furniture and they export to Hong Kong in normal manner. Superintendent Chong says they believe drug gangs then break the wood into smaller pieces and extract the ice through boiling. As to how the Hong Kong traffickers retrieve the ice from the wooden furniture, we believe they used high heat to boil the wood and to retrieve the ice in a chemical manner. Police have charged a 52-year-old man who is now being remounted in custody while a second man was arrested and released on bail. Charity Plastic Free Seas is calling on the government to Hong Kong government departments to investigate whether microplastics from local artificial pitches are entering the environment. It says its own test suggests that an artificial pitch in Discovery Bay was very likely the source of more than two tons of rubber crumbs which washed up on a nearby beach. 
The group's director of operations, Dana Winograd, told Richard Pine that the analysis from HKU's Environmental Geochemistry and Oceanography Research Group confirmed their earlier suspicions. The fact that there are a lot of crumbs in the drain at that pitch and that the drain does lead out, we're not 100% certain, but we found three exit points to the drains in that area just around the corner from the bay, which would allow for the current to push those crumbs right into the bay, which is the only location that they've been found in washing up in. So it, it has to be very local, the source of these crumbs, and all indications would lead to it being from the pitch, but there, we don't have conclusive evidence other than the fact that the material is the same and it's the drains lead very close by. And what, can, what do we know about this material and sort of the danger that it might pose if it does leak out into the environment? Okay, so I don't have conclusive um, information on what exactly it is, but this infill is generally from used tires, and there are chemicals that are found in this material that have been shown to affect the environment negatively. Dana Winograd from Plastic Free Seas. American business leaders in, in the mainland say the fast food giant KFC and its Chinese parent company could be facing a threat to their existence from moves by Washington to ban the app WeChat. Last month, President Trump proposed banning U.S. companies from handling transactions with WeChat, as well as TikTok, over concerns about national security and privacy. Often the BBC's Robin Brandt. The U.S. has targeted the app in the latest move against Chinese technology firms that it claims pose a national security threat. Now the BBC has been told this could have a potentially devastating impact on KFC and its parent company here, Yum China. Yum is among a number of high-profile firms who are vulnerable because it's incorporated in the U.S. and publicly traded on the New York Stock Exchange. Reminder of our top stories tonight, officials say the citywide COVID tests have so far found six infections with four of them previous patients. The court clears Apple Daily's Jimmy Lai of intimidating a reporter from a rival paper and the organisers of the book first say it's far from certain that the event will go ahead on its new scheduled date in December. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3 it's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's news app programme. The University of Hong Kong Students' Union has criticised the university's management for condemning a spoof video it said contained hate speech against mainlanders. While the union has apologised for causing offence and its campus TV has pulled the video, it remains adamant that the parody does not amount to hate speech. Union President ADG also told RTHK some students feel intimidated by the statement. She also told Anna-Marie Evans' management may have missed the point of the video. I believe that they make the video for a reason, and I think that it actually delivered a message that the school is actually aligning their policies to the mainland China. I think that that's their message. But of course, there's some of the disputes that, that can be avoided for their, their way of presentation. Yeah. And what, what the, the hate speech and the form of bullying which you've been accused of? Well, for hate speech and bullying, actually, I do not know uh, what the university is referring to because that they haven't provided a definition uh, for the hate speech um, in their letter or email. 
that, I think that they should do more explanation as well. But for the bullying, of course, uh, it's very subjective. People can feel offended because of some words, but of course, if Chemistry TV is actually realizing that they are doing something they think is inappropriate and they did apologize, I think it is a good thing for them to do. Yeah. So if you were a mainland student at Hong Kong U, would you have been offended by the video? Well, I can't say that uh, how I would feel if I'm a mainland China student, because I'm not. But I'll say that there's there are more more to just offended if their communication and their they did apologize and they they are not saying that they did nothing. So I think this is a remedy they 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 have done already. Yeah. So was it a good idea to portray the university as, quote, closing doors to academic freedom and puppets of an authoritarian regime? Well, we can see that from past events in the, in the past few years. There are many um, incidents that you can see that the, the, uh, the university is actually not listening to students and they are doing something for political reasons, just like um, dismissing uh, Professor Danny Tai for the last few months. So we can see that these issues will actually make students uh, be aware of the situation or policies of the university, which I think it, it makes sense, yeah. Now, I mean, do you think that Campus TV on its next foray into, uh, you know, comedy or uh, whatever will actually take on board what's occurred here? Or do you think that now Hong Kong U students are going to feel that they've got a self-censor? Well, I'll say that uh, I can't speak behalf, on behalf of Chemist TV, but I must say that the university have not, uh, has not uh, dealt with this issue very appropriately. Actually, the Chemist TV will feel, will feel that they are being censored when they are not being informed or they haven't communicated with the university before they issued the statement. So they actually don't know the university is accusing them for what. And they didn't uh, exactly explain what, uh, what part uh, involved hate speech or bullying. So I think the university has not handled this issue very appropriately. And I think that students will actually feel a bit intimidated by this event now. With COVID-19 firmly at the forefront of everyone's minds, it's hardly surprising that a sudden influx of sick villagers to hospitals in Guangxi raised serious concerns. But as it turns out, the source of the illness was something quite different. BBC's Kerry Allen explains. Chinese state media are saying today that more than 500 villagers in the southern Guangxi region have suffered a form of food poisoning in the last week. Now, there have been some concern on Chinese social media because suddenly there have been footage circulating out of the southern Guangxi region of suddenly hundreds of people crowding into hospital corridors. And they've been complaining of symptoms including abdominal pains, uh, nausea, fever and diarrhoea. So obviously there was some major concern that this region might be the site of another localised COVID-19 outbreak. But actually, it turns out this is not the case. And the reason is actually quite bizarre. It's related to an incident that happened on the 26th of August when a cargo ship just off the coast um, overturned and its cargo that it was carrying was loads of stinky durian fruit, which is the yellow spiky fruit that's banned on public transport in countries like Thailand and Japan. Now, because this fruit is commonly smuggled into China and it's rarely found in the country, suddenly what happened was loads of locals ran out into the water and there's been footage of this appearing as well. Um, they tried to grab hold of the fruit and they took it home, um, obviously recognising that they could take it for free. 
And what happened was they didn't realise that it was infected with a type of bacteria when it was contaminated by the seawater. So this was the reason that they were suffering from these symptoms. Um, obviously, a lot of people talking about this on Cena Weibo today and saying that there's a lesson to be learnt in this. But at the same time, it has also raised some concerns about obviously suddenly hundreds of people being able to take to hospital rooms, even though China's trying to maintain epidemic controls. Five years ago, Europe lived through a week of extraordinary events as a mass movement of refugees and migrants arrived at its borders. More than one million made that journey in the course of 2015, the majority fleeing conflict in Syria, Afghanistan and Iraq. Sweden was one of the most generous countries, throwing open its doors to anyone from Syria. But its asylum policies quickly became stricter, as EU states argued over how many migrants each member should take. At that time, the BBC followed Noor Amar, a young Syrian woman, as she made the perilous journey north. Maddy Savage has caught up with Noor in Sweden to see how her life has changed. Chatting over coffee with her mum is a simple pleasure Noor Amar doesn't take for granted. They were separated as she travelled alone across nine countries to make it here. Her father died in the war in Syria. Now she's learnt Swedish, got a job in a food warehouse and she took me on a walk by the river where she relaxes after work. First it was very hard to learn new language and uh, getting a new culture but uh, now it's everything, it's be easier and easier. I have my apartment, I have my family, I have my job so I feel like I'm a stable, confident person right now. And what about making friends, settling in? It's not very social life here, you know. There are some, like, uh, close group, the Swedish people. Do you have any Swedish friends? No, I don't have any. Not one? Maybe in the work, just say hi, hi, that's all. She's hoping she will build deeper connections. But for now, she just feels lucky to be here. That's because Sweden changed its approach soon after she arrived. I'm at the Swedish government offices now, where ministers made the decision to turn their backs on the country's generous migration policy at the end of 2015. For a centre-left government, it was a major departure. I'm Morian Johansson, I'm Minister of Justice and Migration in, in Sweden. Of course, it, it was a tough decision to, to make, but uh, on the other hand, uh, there was nothing else to do. There arrived 114,000 people to Sweden in just four months. Uh, and it would have been impossible for Sweden to keep on that pace. Uh, so, so we had to be very clear that, well, if you're going to apply for asylum in Europe, you have to choose other countries. Crime is also part of the debate. In some city suburbs like Rinkeby and Stockholm, where almost everyone has an immigrant background, security guards patrol the subway stop and a new police station's just opened. There have been plenty of high-profile shootings over the last few years. It's easy to get guns out here. Just one, you make a simple phone call, it's like a postal delivery, you know. This 16-year-old told us he'd lost several friends in the violence, but he insists it's a safe place. Rinkeby is my family. Rinkeby is like a family for everybody here. If you aren't involved in a gang, you don't have to be scared for nothing. Police say most people in gangs aren't the new arrivals. They're people who grew up here. 
But the violence has deepened debates about life in these kind of segregated areas and high levels of unemployment amongst people with foreign backgrounds. It's a big challenge to enter the job market in Sweden if you don't have a network and also to progress. That's Amelie Silverstolper from the Axe Foundation, a non-profit that runs projects designed to change that pattern. We facilitate meetings with uh, just ordinary Swedes, but we match them on that they have the background in the same sector. And since the immigration wave five years ago, we have facilitated for over 58,000 people to meet this way with a great impact. 24% get a job or an apprenticeship through our program. And a few blocks away at the Yala Cafe, there are other signs of hope. In this kitchen, wafting with spices. It's run by immigrant women who help newer arrivals get their first taste of the Swedish labour market, improving their language skills as well as their cooking. One of them, Khadija, tells me she came to Sweden from Eritrea. I came here and then they helped me, she says. I'm speaking Swedish and I'm happy. I'm fighting. She's proof how hard some new Swedes are trying to make their way, even in neighbourhoods that were already troubled. But even here, nobody disagrees that the country's decision to take in so many has brought challenges that are shaping this country's future. BBC's Maddie Savage with that report. For many of us, having to keep a social distance for safety amid the pandemic continues to be a struggle. But imagine if you are blind and touching people is necessary when you can't see people and when you try to navigate unfamiliar surroundings. And how do you keep a social distance from people when you can't see them? Those are a major challenge blind people or partially sighted people face in the new coronavirus conscious world. BBC's Anna Holligan has been out and about with blind people in the Netherlands. It's the first time I'm running on the road right now, so it's... Okay. Rick Wersers. A little bit tricky. Can't remember the last time he went running. My corona kilos, they need to go away as well. (laughs) He's using a pole. It's a metre and a half long and hooked at each end so his running buddy, Jeff, can guide him along the road. So we're running along uh, just beside a canal. Putting this handle a bit to the right, I know I need to go to the right. Crucially, it allows them to stay a safe distance apart. But beyond his running club, Rick's struggling in the new socially distanced society. The most important thing right now, being blind during Corona time, is that you lose a lot of your independence. Right now, if in the shop there are some arrows on the floor, of course you cannot feel that with your cane, you cannot see it. It's like playing Pac-Man, you know, it's like, oh, you hear somebody there and then you want to move away from that person to keep a distance, but if you cannot see, that's very hard. You need to rely on other people. You cannot, as a blind, you cannot keep distance on your own. The the problem is not everybody knows that the cane is a sign that you're blind. They think, hey, how come this guy is so close to me? But then it's like, hello, I have a cane, but then I'm more at risk. Nobody can help you, basically, because it's not allowed. Of course, you don't want to have the virus, and, and that's the kind of the tricky part. And he's not alone. Even I, after all these years of, well, literally doing all sorts of things, feel a little bit apprehensive. David Blunkett is a former British government minister and now member of the upper chamber, the House of Lords. So if somebody came up to me and said, do you mind, I'll just guide you around this particular obstacle, 
I happen to have a guide dog, so it's much easier for me, but say someone using a white cane, then I, I would say that's fine. If you're assisting someone, you can still do that. It's all about confidence. I've come to Utrecht Central train station to meet Annika Burkhouse. She's told me she will be using a cane. Annika, hello, hi, I'm Anna, how are you? <laughs> it's normal for blind or partially sighted travellers to grab a stranger's elbow or shoulder while moving through stations or airports. Yes, people are walking so close yeah, to you, yeah, even yeah, though yeah, they yeah, can yeah, see yeah. your cane. Oh, yeah. I'm... <laughs> it's unbelievable. Annika has been sticking to her familiar commute and essential journeys only since the start of the pandemic. I, I, I don't like to make too many contacts now that, that are not necessary. The instinct is grip someone's arm without thinking. How would I like to be approached? The best way should be give me the choice. There is, a, there is a solution eh? when someone likes to help me and I don't want physical contact, yeah. then I say, okay, take the other side of my cane. Which, which way are you going now? I'm going to platform five and seven. Five. Oh, I'll walk with you then. I'm okay. heading that way as well. The unfortunate thing is that people are being told to sneeze into their elbows and yet... Yeah, 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 kind of hazardous for, for you. That report was from the BBC's Anna Holligan. Those stories are part of the Newswrap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Hi, I'm Lazy Lion, and I'm usually quite laid back, but you can count me in to fight COVID-19. Here are my tips. Don't go to work and seek medical advice promptly if you're unwell. Avoid eating out or going out if it's not necessary. Keep at least one meter apart from others and avoid contact with people who show symptoms. Social distancing can help prevent the spread of COVID-19. These are the tips for us to prevent COVID-19. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December We'll have moments to remember. 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 Moments to remember. That's what this program is all about. Nostalgia. Old favorites you've never heard for a long time. Ray Codero with you from now until 1 a.m.
Diamond was the composer of that song. You don't bring me flowers. Jonathan Pearson at the piano and his orchestra. You're listening to Nostalgia with Ray Codero from now, and I do mean now, until 1 a.m. with the best music this side of heaven. Restless as a willow in a windstorm. I'm as jumpy as a puppet 